Amen. Well, good evening, everybody. Great to be with you tonight. Why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 4. It's where we're going to be in just a few minutes. And go ahead and find your place there, the Gospel of John chapter 4. And before we get to our text, let me just kind of, if you haven't figured it out already, it's the kickoff of what we call Neighbors and Nations Week here at Tri-Cities. And personally, it's always one of my favorite weeks of the year. We do this twice a year. And the goal and the intent and the heart behind this is pretty simple. We want to focus and we want to reprioritize and we want to equip and we want to mobilize and we want our hearts to be set aflame with the reality that our God is worthy to be worshiped. And if we believe that, then our witness will flow out of that and we will do whatever it takes to make him known. So we dedicate this entire week and it's going to involve our weekend worship services. It's going to involve our life groups. You'll hear a little bit more about that in a few minutes. Uh, we have some personal tools that we've created for you. There's a, a reading plan that we've designed as we've wrapped up Bible 2020. That's going to finish uh, tomorrow is actually the last day of that. So we have a brand new reading plan. There's uh, paper copies. You can get that online. It'll take you through the two weeks uh, the next two weeks, and it'll focus us again on the neighbors and nations. There's a prayer guide there. I encourage you to use that. It's going to involve the equipping of our families as we're going to commission some families tonight, uh, and just a lot of emphasis. And again, we all know everything in our world looks different right now because of COVID and all that, but this mission that God has given us has not changed. We're going to focus our attention over the next few days as a church family. Now, I want you to hear just from our heart, the heart of your elders, the heart of your pastor, something that really drives this, as Lainey mentioned it earlier, but I want to say this to you again. When you look at the, the whole of Scripture, there's some convictions that drive why we would dedicate a whole week to what we call neighbors and nations, and this, this mission, this call of advancing the message of the gospel. And I want you to hear this. It, it goes this way, that our God is worthy to be known and worshipped by all peoples in all nations of the earth. Do y'all hear that? I mean, if we as a church, through the word of God and the work of the Spirit, and we are, we are enamored with the reality that our God is worthy to be worshipped and known right here in Gray, Tennessee, the Tri-Cities, and to the ends of the earth, we will do whatever is necessary. We will give, we will go, we will pray, because we can't imagine our God not receiving the worship that is due to his name. Conviction that flows out of that is this. We, we're the church. We're his redeemed people. We are called, we are equipped, we are commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to make Jesus known. First, right here, to our neighbors and to the nations of the earth. That's intentional. There's a balance in that. We're not just about the nations of the earth to the demise or the neglect of the place God's planted us as a church. But we're not just about local ministry either. We're about the ends of the earth. The Bible calls the church to be equally focused on both our neighbors 
and the nations. That's why we call this Neighbors and Nations Week of the next few days. You heard it on the video and you're going to hear it a lot this week. We as a church, we advance the gospel around what we call our five go pursuits. And again, I want you to hear these over and over. This determines how we go and what we do and how we spend. We, we believe we are to send disciples. We want to send you. We want to send you right to your neighbors. We want to send you to the nations. We want you to be equipped to go, to be sent from our church. Starts right here among our neighbors. We want to serve the vulnerable. Listen, we believe this gospel call. We want to meet needs, but the greatest need of all mankind is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to train leaders to equip and serve the church and advance the church and the ministry of the gospel. We want to plant churches here in the United States. We want to plant churches around the world. The gospel is advanced through healthy local churches and the emphasis of Neighbors and Nations this week, every Neighbors and Nations, we rotate around one of these five go pursuits. This time is reach the unreached. We talk about unreached, we're talking about people and places on our planet where Jesus is largely unknown or not known. There is limited to no access to the gospel of Christ. We have a call, a mandate as the church to go and take the message of the gospel to the unreached among our neighbors and the nations of the world. We do this because Jesus commands it. If you've been in church any amount of time, you've heard Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Many of you could quote it. I pray tonight you hear it afresh and the Spirit of God compels and shapes and calls you to action, maybe in a way he's not done before. Jesus said this, all authority has been given to me. He has all authority. In heaven, on earth. On a place on the planet that Jesus does not have complete authority. By the way, that's good news. Go, therefore, verse 19 of Matthew 28, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And Jesus gives us a promise Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of this age of the age. So we're gonna have a big truth that's gonna guide us through the next couple of weeks. It flows out of this and then it'll launch us this week into focusing on our neighbors from John chapter four. And then next week, we're gonna focus more on the nations from Romans 15. But here's kind of a guiding big truth from this passage that'll help us. It's this, making disciples, as Jesus has called us, demands we share Jesus and leads us to reach the unreached. Making disciples demands that we, we share Jesus, the message of the gospel, and leads us to reach the unreached. And I wanna do everything I can over the next couple of weeks to show you from scripture what that looks like. We have a ton of resources available to you. You're gonna experience some things in your life group this week. You're gonna watch a give to go video that's gonna challenge us in the area of giving. We're gonna be called to share meals this week. I'll tell you more about that as we go, but here's what I'm gonna do for the next few minutes. What does this look like to reach the unreached beginning right here among our neighbors? John chapter four, I think is just an incredible picture of that for us. 
Now, give you a quick context. John chapter 4, Jesus, as you know, this is, we get to peer into an account and story in the life of Jesus and his disciples. Here's the context and here's the situation. So Jesus is traveling from Judea, Jerusalem, and he's going north to Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, where he spent most of his ministry. Now, if you're familiar with John chapter 4, you've heard the story of the woman at the well, right? Many of us have heard that story. Jesus, to get from Jerusalem to Galilee, where he's going, has two options. He could go by way of the Jordan River, and it's a little bit longer, but it's, a, it's not as much of a hassle. Or he could go the shortcut through Samaria. If you know your Bible history and you know your New Testament at all, you know Jesus being a Jew... And Jews did not have any dealings, if you will, with Samaritans. But Jesus instead takes the route that will guide him right through the middle of Samaria. And we'll see what happens when he does that. What does it look like to reach the unreached right around us every day? Look with me, verse 3. The first couple of verses are talking about Jesus and his disciples. They're preparing to go again from Jerusalem to Galilee. Verse 3 picks it up. You just kind of follow along. It says this. Then he, Jesus, left Judea. Again, that's the area around Jerusalem. And he's going to depart for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Verse 6. Jacob's well was there, and in that day, the well was like the center of town. I mean, it's the Walmart of town. It's where everybody hangs out, right? It's where you go. Some odd people then hang out there, but it's just the spot. So the well is right in the middle of town. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied from his journey, was sitting beside the well. We see a glimpse into Jesus all God, all man. He's tired, he's thirsty, he needs something to drink. So he comes to this well in this Samaritan town. He sits down at this well. It was about the sixth hour. Most likely that means it was around noontime, the heat of the day. Verse 7 says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. If you know anything about the culture, that little phrase, that little verse immediately catches your attention because there's going to be some tension that's going to arise. You've got a Samaritan and a Jew. You've got a man, you've got a woman. It's the middle of the day. There's, there's barriers here to be crossed. And Jesus is sitting there and this woman comes up and he says to her. Mark that in your Bible because that doesn't happen. Jesus immediately crosses some barriers because he has the kingdom of God on his mind, even in this situation. This woman approaches him and he says, give me a drink. Give me a drink. Now that seems very innocent. We read that and we can just read right over it. There were massive barriers that Jesus is crossing here. And Jesus has an ulterior motive for the kingdom. He's concerned about this woman's soul. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Verse 8. Verse 9. This woman is shocked by the fact that Jesus, a Jew, is having a conversation with her at all. And she responds in verse 9 and says, The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it? I'll translate that. 
What are you doing? How is it that you, a Jewish guy, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? Parenthetically, John gives you a little insight. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And again, there's historical reasons for this. You can study that on your own. The Jews saw the Samaritans as really a half-breed of people. When the Assyrians came in in around 700 BC and wiped out Jerusalem, they brought in all kinds of other Gentile people and there were intermarriage and different things that were going on, Jew and Gentile, and the, the Jews saw the Samaritans as really unclean, half-breed tribe of people that they wanted nothing to do with. So this woman says, how is it that you... Speak to me, a Samaritan woman. Verse 10, Jesus answers her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you, and watch this, living water. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Again, if you're familiar with this story, this is not going to catch you off guard, but Jesus takes a very common situation around a well, begins a conversation with just a basic human need. He's thirsty. And he takes this conversation and he takes it from that point of human need and he begins to make it an issue of this woman's soul. The condition of this woman's soul. Again, I just imagine if you're around Jesus for, for very long, he's not gonna talk about sports and he's not gonna talk about the weather very long. He's going to talk about what really matters his concern for this Samaritan woman is the condition of our soul. That is very convicting. He says, if you had known the person who was sitting here with you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. But she didn't know the identity of who she was talking to. Now, I want to challenge us with something here. Jesus is going to have a gospel conversation. And Jesus is going to take this conversation and he's going to turn it into this common thing of need. He needs a drink and he's going to steer this conversation into something much more significant, a gospel conversation. But you have to understand, and here, this was really convicting to me personally. Jesus has every excuse in the world not to have a gospel conversation here. He, he's tired. Man, how many times have I had opportunities and I'm just weary and I'm tired and I don't want to mess with it. Jesus is tired. He's weary. He's thirsty. There are these cultural barriers to be crossed. She's a female. In that day, it was inappropriate. This male is not talking to this female in this setting. She's a Samaritan. These racial barriers, these religious barriers, all the reasons. Jesus had every reason in the world to make an excuse to avoid the gospel opportunity that is right there in front of him. And I would have easily found an excuse, wouldn't you? So he steers this conversation. He says, if you knew who the one was speaking to you, you would have asked and he would have given you living water for your soul. Verse 13, Jesus says to her, he continues the conversation. He says, listen, everyone who drinks of this water, the, the well water, they're going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give to them will never be thirsty again. 
The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So I want you to see what Jesus does here. He takes this conversation and he starts with human need. There's a thirst there. He then steers it to the condition of this woman's soul. There's a thirst in your soul that's greater than a human need. And then he introduces the provision of himself. There's a need and there's an answer. And he introduces himself to this woman as the answer. I'm going to give you a few big ideas that flow out of this as we are called to reach the unreached, starting right here with those around us. Here's big idea number one. We reach the unreached by seizing everyday opportunities to make Jesus known. We reach the unreached by seizing everyday opportunities that are around us to make Jesus known. Now listen, brothers and sisters, if you've been part of Tri-Cities for any amount of time, you know we have something called Go Moments. Go Moments, we want to equip and we want to call and we want to spur one another on and we want to do this in our life groups and as a church. We're constantly encouraging one another, challenging one another to say, hey, tell me about a recent Go Moment. Tell me about a recent opportunity you had to take advantage, seize an opportunity to share the message of Jesus with someone. Jesus is our example here. As a part of Neighbors and Nations this week in your, in your life group, you, you should have already, and hopefully it'll definitely happen this week, you're going to be encouraged to, this week of Neighbors and Nations, put this into practice and set up what we call a share meal. A share meal, and again, this week, and I know in the age of COVID and all that, it might be a share email, it might be a share text, it might be a share FaceTime, it might be something, but the intent is, Somebody in your sphere of influence in your life, maybe one of your three names, maybe a family member, maybe that neighbor, maybe that coworker, maybe a friend who lives on the other side of the country, and you know you've never clearly presented the gospel to them, but you set up with intentionality a share conversation, a share meal this week, maybe over coffee. You call, you have a conversation. And you pray that the Lord gives you the opportunity, just like Jesus here, to take the conversation from mere human need to the condition of that person's soul. And then you're able to share the message of the gospel and lead someone to the Lord. Tell your life group about it. We want to pray for one another. We've done this for years as a church. We want to continue to grow in this. This is an area we want to continue, continue, continue to grow in as a church. This week, I'm encouraging you, set up a share meal. Set up a conversation. You say, Pastor Mike, do we only do that two weeks out of the year? Is that the only time we share the gospel? No. The intent is, let's be intentional and spur one another on for two weeks out of the year. And then it will become the culture every week of the year. That's what we want to happen. So, Pastor Mike, do you have a share meal next week? Well, I do. And I'm not going to use the fellow's name, but there's a fellow I've been multiple conversations with, works at a restaurant I attend regularly in Johnson City, and it hit me a few weeks ago that I've talked around the gospel. We've talked about the condition of his soul. I've never sat down and made sure he heard the full message of the gospel and heard a call to repentance and faith in Jesus. I hope to do that Wednesday. I have it scheduled. I have it set up. You pray. My life group's going to be praying for me. I hope to repeat that pattern and see that repeat pattern repeated in you. So who are you sharing the gospel with? Who's the unreached around you that you can take these conversations and turn them into gospel conversations? What happened here? Jesus continues, verse 15. The woman said to him, 
sir, give me this water. Now she's still thinking on a human level. She's thinking, man, there must be something magic down in that well. Give me some of that water so that I'll never be thirsty or I won't have to come here to this well and draw water again. Jesus says to her, he's going to take the conversation to the next level. He's going to begin to pry into the condition of her soul. Not in a condemning way, but a loving way. Because he cares for this woman deeply in the condition of her soul. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. In other words, he's taking the conversation to a challenging level, the condition of her soul. He says, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have right now is not your husband. What you have said is true. You say, well, he's just getting into her business. He's getting into her business to reveal to her the condition of her soul, to remove any attempt to her to hide from her need for the gospel. And she comes back with one of my favorite lines in scripture. He's just revealed everything about her. In verse 19, she says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> Got that right. You say, I don't have the power to look into someone's soul when I'm sharing the gospel. No, that's the work of the spirit of God and the power of the gospel message. You carry that with you. The message of the gospel and the spirit of God does that. But we are the ambassadors. So she, she gets somewhat convicted here. He pries down into the condition of her soul. How does she respond? I want you to watch this because this is huge application point for you and me living in church culture, East Tennessee. I've read John chapter four. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've never seen quite the things I saw this week in it, especially getting ready for this message. So this woman is challenged by what Jesus says. He's gotten personal with her out of love for her about the condition of her soul. Verse 20, she says when convicted, verse 20, well, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Samaritans had their own place of worship. They had their own temple. They had their own version of the Mosaic law. And she says, look, you want to get real personal with me? Let me just tell you something. Our fathers have worshiped on this mountain for a long time. You say that it is in Jerusalem where people ought to worship. What is she doing? Watch this now. Two things. Number one, she's trying to distract from the issue. You've been sharing the gospel with somebody and you're really close to sharing the cross, the resurrection, the call to faith and repentance in Jesus. And someone says, well, what about the dinosaurs? This gives me trouble. Blowing smoke. She's trying to distract from the greater conversation. That was one thing she seems to be doing. Here's the other thing, an even more important thing she's, she's doing. And if you've had a conversation with anyone about the gospel, especially in this area we live, this has happened to you. She says, my fathers, our fathers have worshipped on this mountain. What's she saying? When feeling threatened by the conversation, she runs to her religious safety blanket to convince herself and Jesus that she's okay with God. This was really convicting to me this week. In other words, they're in a conversation about spiritual things, the condition of her soul, eternity, and he, he gets into this level of revealing, look, your lifestyle is nothing like what you claim in love with her or love to her. And she says, wait a minute, my fathers, we've worshiped on this mountain my whole life. Can I give you the East Tennessee translation of that? I've been a member of first church, whatever, all my life. 
I'm a Christian. I was baptized. Whatever version you want to give, she runs to her religious safety blanket to convince Jesus that she's okay with God. And that's exactly what people often do when they're in a situation that they're challenged with the gospel and challenged with the condition of their own heart. Here's my question for you and me. I've had multiple conversations like this. So have you, if you ever attempt to share the gospel here, what do we do at this point? This is really challenging for me this week. What do we do at this point in our religious culture when people give you something about, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm a member of this church, my family, some religious safety blanket but there's nothing in their life to indicate they've ever known Jesus. Most of us check off the box at that point and walk away from the conversation and said, well, I at least ask them. They said they're a Christian. And in your heart, you know, there is no evidence of the work of the Spirit of God in their life at all. Jesus doesn't stop there out of great love for this woman. Watch with me. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Verse 22, I want you to mark this. This verse wore me out this week. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. In other words, woman, you can, you can give me any spiritual religious safety blanket you want to give me. The bottom line is your life indicates, everything about you indicates your worship is a false worship. You don't even know the God you claim you worship. You worship the God you, you worship what you don't even know. Now watch this. Here's big idea number two. When we talk about reaching the unreached. Just jumped out to me from John chapter 4 this week. We reach the unreached by exposing lies and clearly sharing the message of the gospel. This woman who is the neighbor is not unreached because she has no access to truth necessarily. She's not unreached because she lives in the deep, dark jungle of wherever you want to say, this woman is unreached because of her deep spiritual confusion. She knows enough religion to give her some kind of false hope, but she doesn't have the gospel clearly given to her and a call to faith and repentance for her to ever be born again, humanly speaking. Let's be clear, salvation is the work of God and his spirit and his word, but he uses us to be faithful ambassadors. Jesus does not let her walk away holding on to this spiritual religious safety blanket of, my father's worshiped on this mountain. Jesus says, that's fine, you worship who you do not know. You don't even know the truth. He continues on. 
Listen, for us, that, that's, that's an incredible challenge. I mean, the fellow that I'm going to have a share a meal this week, he talks around the gospel. He's surrounded by Christians. He drives by churches every day. But when we even begin the conversation, he can't even begin to tell you the reality of the gospel. And I was convicted to say, I've never simply shared the message of who Jesus is, of God created us to know him and have a relationship with him. That relationship was broken by sin and rebellion. We are separated by sin from our God. We can do nothing to bridge that gap. But God has demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ has died for us. And that gift is offered to those who will repent of sin and place faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He's never heard that. I want him to hear the message of the gospel. And I want to do everything I can to expose the lies of these spiritual safety blankets that so many in our area are continually holding on to. We reach the unreached by exposing lies and clearly sharing the message of the gospel. Verse 22, Jesus goes on and we'll... Wrap it up here in a minute. Jesus says, you, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Verse 25, a woman said to him, skip down. She says, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. Again, she had enough religion in her Samaritan understanding of the scriptures to know that there was a Messiah coming, but she did not realize that he was there right in front of her. I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And then Jesus, verse 26, says to her, I who speak to you am he. Salvation is standing in front of you. Our goal and our aim in sharing the gospel is to lead people to see Jesus, who is the only solution and the only sin bearer that can take away the sins of the world. Are you leading people to see their own sin and at the same time, our glorious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? That's our call. That's, we're ambassadors. That's the message. We're broken because of our sin. We're hopeless. God has provided a Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. Final point, verse 27. Disciples show up. Jesus is having a conversation with the woman. She, she now hears this claim that he's the Messiah. She hears this claim of living water. She goes back into town and tells her friends, maybe we found this Messiah the disciples show up, verse 31, and their minds are nowhere on gospel proclamation. I mean, they've been jawing with one another. They've been elsewhere. They finally catch up with Jesus, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Hey, Jesus, Rabbi, aren't you hungry? Jesus, it's, it's the lunchtime. We've got to get something to eat. There's huge truth and conviction in this for you and me. Now watch. Jesus is in the middle of a soul conversation with this woman and the disciples are not even in the same ballpark with him. Verse 32, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't even know about. Verse 33, so the disciples said to one another, what's he talking about? Don't you think they did that a lot? Like, what is he talking about? 
He said, I have food to eat that you don't even know about. In other words, he's going beyond this earthly need and this earthly comfort. That's where their focus is completely. It's lunchtime, so somebody better eat. They don't even notice that gospel opportunities are right there in front of them because they're too preoccupied with other things. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you don't even know about. He's going beyond the physical need. Verse 33, has someone brought him food to eat? The disciples said, has someone brought him a happy meal or something? What's going on? I want you to look at verse 34. I pray this becomes a prayer. I pray this becomes the work of the Spirit in you and me and us as a church. Jesus responds this way, and he says this. Jesus said to them, my food, my nourishment, my sustenance, what is essential to life for me, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Man. If you memorize a verse all week, if you put a verse in your heart, if you begin to pray something, it would be this. Here's, here's big idea number three that flows right out of this. We reach the unreached when we prioritize making Jesus known. The disciples are totally distracted by creaturely comforts and the need of the moment. This town is about to experience a revival. We see that later in scripture. They have no idea of what God is doing. And Jesus says, listen to me. There is something for you as a follower of Christ that is much greater and much more important than focusing on your creaturely needs and your needs of the moment. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of my Father and to accomplish his work. Man, would that be a prayer for you and me? This abiding relationship with God through Jesus for us is that which nourishes our soul. And man, we are daily praying, Lord, I have constant distractions around me. So do I. I have all these earthly needs around me. So do I. We live in a world that clamors to, to distract our attention. I live right there where you live. I've prayed this prayer all week. I'm going to pray this prayer for you that we would say, Lord, my food greater than my earthly needs is that I would desire to do your will and to accomplish your work more than any of that. And the work that he's accomplishing here is the advancing of the message of the gospel of Christ. You're right in the middle of it. John MacArthur said here, in talking with the Samaritan woman, Jesus was performing the will of the Father and thereby received greater sustenance and satisfaction than any mere physical food could offer him. Do we have to eat? Of course we have to eat. Do we need creaturely things? Of course we need those. But our priorities have got to be driven. Jesus said, listen, my food is to do the will of my Father and to accomplish his work. And it's that spirit of Jesus that lives in me and lives in you. So he continues on and he shows the priority. He says to the disciples, he builds on this. And this is where we're going to wrap up. He says, listen, guys, don't say there are yet four months. And then comes the harvest. Evidently, where they were in this town, they were 
fields of grain that surrounded this town. And as best we know, historically was the time when the, the heads of the grain were starting to come up. And it was probably three or four months before the time of harvest, but they're surrounded. And Jesus, again, is going to use this illustration. He says, listen, do not say there are four months and then comes the harvest. In other words, every excuse in the world to make that now is not the time for harvest. Every reason you can come up with to say, they're not ready, it's not time, I can't share now, I can't advance the gospel. Jesus says this, do not say that. Don't give excuses, don't give delays. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. They're ready, they're ready. This verse, for whatever reason, 34, 35, had been my personal prayers for you and for us and as a church going into neighbors and nations. And listen, I know there are so many reasons in the season of COVID and lockdowns and masks and reasons to pull back or push back from advancing the gospel. Here's my challenge to you and me. Lift up your eyes. Jesus says, lift up your eyes and see that the fields around you are white for harvest. You have no idea of the work of God that is going on around you. Don't delay. Don't make excuses. Don't come with some reason. Lift up your eyes. I'm not comfortable sharing the gospel. I really don't know how to do that yet. We have a ton of resources available to you. You can talk to your life group guide. There are plenty of ways. When you lift up your eyes, you'll find out and figure out how to continue to advance the gospel. There's plenty of ways to be equipped. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes to the neighbors. Lift up your eyes to that family member. Next week, we'll lift up our eyes to the nations. This week as a church, I pray we grow. We've provided that reading, God, for you. I pray you use that over the next 14 days. We're gonna pray together that God will change our hearts and we'll lift up our eyes. We're going to equip families. We're gonna commission some families here in just a few minutes. The, the great commission we're talking about begins at home. We want you to see that as a church. You're gonna be challenged this week in your life groups to lift up your eyes and give through give to go, the way we, over and above as a church, give financially to advance the gospel. You're going to be challenged to go to your neighbors, share a meal, share a conversation. And our prayer is many of us would be called to go to the nations and plant our lives for the sake of Jesus because he is worth it. Would you bow your head with me for just a minute? Spirit of God is stirring in your heart and causing some wrestling in your heart right now. I pray some names are coming to your mind. I pray some faces are coming to your mind of opportunities where you know you've never shared the message of the gospel with them. I pray we're challenged of where our priorities are right now, that our food is our food. Our main priority is to do the will Father and accomplish his kingdom work, making Jesus known as a priority.
I pray that for us as a church, oh God, I plead. I pray for us as leaders. I pray for us as elders. God, that we will not be so distracted by all or just all the creaturely comforts and distractions that are around us, Lord. We would be able to say it is my food to do the will of my Father. God, I plead with you that you would do a work in me and in us over this next week, Lord. And particularly, we would lift up our eyes and see that the fields around us names going through our mind, people going through our mind. They're ready for harvest. Ours is to tell. Tell. Call to faith. Call to repentance in Jesus who's done all the work. Ours is to tell. We ask him for your great name. God, we declare that you are worthy to be known and worshipped by all peoples.